Hey there, Matt here. Before we get started, just want to let you know that we will be sprinkling some book knowledge into our podcast. Don't worry, they will not spoil any aspect of the story. They're just more supplementary. However, if you're a person who absolutely hates book reader knowledge in your TV talk, then this podcast probably isn't for you. Also, we're sorry. Anyway, here's the podcast. Hope you enjoy it. Dedicated to George R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire book series. But there's just one word to sum up Stannis. And the HBO Game of Thrones franchises. And that is fewer. Um, <laughs> everything, everything for him. I love is... it. I love it so much. You're listening to Before the Dragon. Don't tell me what to do. Who's your new most hated character in House of the Dragon? Ladies and gentlemen, Lord. Likely Larry Strong. Welcome to Before the Dragon Podcast. Holly's looking at her phone. She doesn't care that we've started five minutes ago. <laughs> and uh, we're talking about season one, episode six, The Princess and the Queen, that uh, was written by Sarah Hess and directed by the showrunner, Miguel Saposnik, uh, still the showrunner for this season no longer after this season. Lots of developments as far as our Seven Hells game goes. Kelly, who could not be with us this week uh, due to family visiting and things like that, which we totally understand, does owe a punishment. She will be doing your maester intern for a day where anything that we ask her to look up, she will have to look up and present. I've already got a couple of ideas for that. Um, John, uh, our titan of A Song of Ice and Fire from the North, We'll be playing the actual Titan from the North. He'll be playing Jon Snow. He's I'm Jon Snow podcaster, the audio version. So get ready for those kind of impressions. Uh, John has another one, actually, that he will have to pick during this podcast and pay at some point in the future as well. But what we need to get to is our ratings for this particular episode and I've already given mine in the initial reaction. I gave it nine. But Holly, I am very interested to hear what your rating for this episode was. You're not going to believe this, Matt. I rated this episode also a nine out of 10. This was the best one for me so far. I know I said that last time I was on the podcast. That was my favorite episode. Now, this is my favorite episode. It's just getting better and better I think while I do have some issues with the time jump just not minor things just things I would have liked to see more I really think those first five episodes was were really all just the prologue to get us here this is what the show is this is what it's about I feel like it's finally 
finally arrived, even though I was enjoying all of it up until this point. It's it's here. This is House of the Dragon. Nine out of ten. Give me more, please. John. Hey. Uh, who who is don't forget you're in character this time around. You're paying a punishment. You are oh, John Smith. <laughs> Hey. i remember when john snow said hey all enthusiastic <laughs> yes that's oh. that's so john snow so don't ever do that again hmm. i gotta try and get in character here for you matt <clears throat> okay you you do that well i ask you what was your rating for this episode season one episode six well it's kind of hard up here in the cold north of the wall but i would give it a 9.2 <laughs> that's a I'm pretty really particular bad. rating that's a pretty particular <laughs> rating there john Snith. uh what you, i know you nothing so <laughs> <laughs> you know nothing uh including why you came up with this rating what did you like what did you not like um no i i love this episode this episode's great you got dragons even though a big fat wrinkly dragon which is very very strange however it was very cool to see awesome um with weird tendrils on I don't, well, i'm sure there's reasons and logic but i don't know but no um other than that i i love the time jump i love the the tracking shot which is great um i watched it through the second time i could kind of see some creative edits but still brilliant um i did listen to the official podcast which had miguel sapatnik on it i recommend everybody go listen to it. it's very good um He's quite animated and he's very, very proud of this episode. And I think for good reason. So Susan, glad to have you back. How about your rating for this episode, season one, episode six of House of the Dragon? Yes. Um, I'm gonna give it an eight point five. Eight point five. And uh what brought it to an eight point five or brought it down from a possible higher rating? Um, well, actually. Um, I I thought that the opening scene was absolutely fantastic, and I might have gone for a little bit higher rating just based on that whole first scene and the way everything went. Um, but I do think things were, you know, a little bit confusing with all these new people, and I didn't mind so much the jump forward. I knew it was going to happen, but I guess I'm still really disappointed that we didn't get anything to justify how Christian Cole was able to maintain his position on the King's Guard after committing basically murder in front of the king at the <laughs> at the princess's wedding. Yeah. That's probably my that's my biggest beef with um with the continuity of what's going on was just that one thing. Yeah. Well, for me, there were a couple of things as well. Uh, although I probably overlooked them a little more than I should have. Uh, I agree with you about Kristen Cole for sure. I also think that, uh, you know, when you have the King drop to the floor at the end of the last episode, and now 10 years have passed and he's fine. Um, there is a new maester in town, but it, it right. I mean, uh, you know, his circumstances didn't look great at the end of that, at the end of that wedding. Sure. Yeah. I know a lot of people were surprised that he was still around. So yeah. And this is where, again, because of my uh, having read the book, I feel like the way that they handled the whole 
situation with Christian Cole and Joffrey Longmoth in the book made a lot more sense because you could get away with a murder attorney and pass it over for something else a lot easier than what occurred there. And I know that there was a lot of scuffling going on and we didn't see exactly what happened, but I feel like it was such an egregious act that it needed to have some justification for how he was able to maintain, even if they did jump forward all that way in yeah. time. Well, maybe they just decided, well, we clarified a couple of things that were disputed in the books. Let's create one that wasn't in the books, uh, you know, <laughs> or let's create a situation in the books and turn it into a, a mystery here since we yeah. spelled a mystery there. <laughs> maybe it's a trade off. I guess. Yeah. That's enough of our ratings. Let's get to my music segment. My music segment this time around explores one theme that we heard in the first episode that uh, as uh, Rhaenyra and Alicent are coming into the Red Keep very happily and the way it was presented very darkly this time around at the beginning of this episode. So there was a lot of great new music in this particular week's episode, but I'm not sure how much of it is one-off and how much of it is stuff that might stick around. Specifically with Damon and his storyline and everything with Lena and all of that, Damon has been somewhat of a mystery to me, somewhat of an enigma, I suppose you could say. And because of that, I'm just not sure whether I'll be able to determine whether anything has been truly constructed for him himself, probably all the way up until the end of the season. And I can go back and just parse through every scene and, and look at every cue that's been used with him because they've seen varied and yet similar, but I can't quite put my finger on it. So I need time and a lot of evidence in order to be able to determine anything regarding Damon. Nonetheless, there was some really powerful music around the storyline of his this week, uh, especially in regards to Lena and her relationship with Vagar. But I don't know, uh, since we're not going to have Lena anymore, if there's going to be any validity to that, because... I don't really recall hearing anything about specifically Lena in prior episodes either. So I'm going to leave all of that on the side of the table, not push it completely off the table, but I'm going to leave it way off to the side and dive in on a couple of things that we did get this week. One thing that I really enjoyed is something that isn't new. And that was at the beginning of the episode as Rhaenyra is approaching uh, the chambers with her new baby. Um, poor girl. <laughs> Rhaenyra is in trouble there. She's just having a heck of a time uh, getting up right after giving birth and having to go see the queen with the baby. Um, she, I, Man, that's rough. But there was a piece of music there when she was on the steps. It actually began right as... I guess it was Lord Caswell or Cassell or something like that was congratulating her. And it followed them all the way through into uh, the 
the king's chambers, the queen's chambers, whatever chambers those were. And it's a piece that we'd heard before. And I love how Ramin did this because he took something that established the relationship between Rhaenyra and Alicent in the first episode, the pilot episode, and he slowed it down and he changed the harmony to indicate the change in the relationship between the two of them. Now, you may recall, uh, I've talked about this in the very first uh, podcast covering the music for this season. Um, there was this theme that was presented as Rhaenyra and Allison were riding the coach and then walking into the red keep and up the steps and everything. And I love the parallel of these two scenes. I didn't cover the first part of that theme from the coach in the first episode, but it was what carried a lot of the beginning of this cue this week with Rhaenyra on the steps. I love the parallel of the steps and the parallel of the, the looking at the relationship with the queen in the carriage scene in the first episode, the tempo was faster. The harmony was not as ominous either, but this week when Rhaenyra again, right after Cassell or Caswell or whatever his name was, congratulates her, we begin to hear this as her and Lenore are going up the steps. As you know, harmonically, I like to look at things in terms of whether they're major or minor, which tends to indicate a lighter feeling or a darker feeling. This is very dark. And actually, the chords haven't changed that much uh, between the two scenes, the carriage scene and this one. But the tempo is much slower in this particular instance. If you go back and listen to the music that's playing underneath them getting in the carriage and riding into King's Landing, uh, you will hear this melody and you will hear this harmony, but it's done a lot quicker. And one of the things that this slower version of it creates is the fact that this is something that Rhaenyra dreads. It's not only taxing on her physically, but it's taxing on her heart. It's taxing on her mentally probably because she is, of course, understanding why the queen wants to see the baby, uh, which becomes quite evident as the scene goes on. Um, but because of that, he slows the tempo down. He changes the rhythm of the melody just a little bit um, to make it seem more ominous in a way, not really ominous. Uh, I'm looking for the right word. Um, just darker, um, just uh, strained. And that is one of those things that uh, really works for this particular piece in this episode. 
Now, the slower tempo continues, but in the first episode, there was a sound of the them walking through, going up the steps, kind of arm in arm, holding hands, all of that stuff, indicating a real friendship. And the harmony was a lot more geared towards tonicizing, moving towards major chords, whereas here there is just a dropping of the bass line that continues to go down, which creates more of a sinking feeling and more of a minor feeling rather than any kind of real resolution to major. Um, I guess what I'll do is I'll play you the piece the way it was in this episode, and then we'll compare it to the way it was in the first episode. So here's the way it was in this episode. So it feels like all of the energy is pulling downward. That's be happening because the fact that the baseline is moving down. Now, the piece in the first episode, the tonicization or the moving towards uh, key harmonic points was much more geared towards major, whereas the one you just heard was geared towards minor. Listen to the way that these feel differently as I play the second one. The tempo is faster and there are more major chords implied, which makes it feel much lighter, much happier, as is the state of Alicent and Rhaenyra's relationship at that time. So everything feels happier in that second instance than in the first, right? And this is a perfect way to have a musical narrative of the difference of the relationship between Rhaenyra and Alicent. Again, in the first episode, Rhaenyra and Alicent were the best of friends. They were like sisters. In this one, uh, the relationship has turned venomous in a way. Um, dread. Uh loathing all kinds of emotions are evoked just by the tempo and the harmony so i thought that that was fantastic i do want to concentrate on one uh, one piece of music that was brand new or at least i don't recall it being in any of the prior episodes and it focuses around laris strong laris is an amazing creature uh he's very much little finger and one of the things that happens as he's talking to Queen Allison at the end is you start to hear this little motif that is in minor, indicating darkness, which uh, the things that Larry's just did in this episode, he's a pretty dark cat. And that's why I love that this came out. Um, but the melody itself, this little figure, probably more like a motif, which means a little snippet of music um, actually uh, represents his dark tendencies very well. 
Um, the fact that it's kind of fast, the fact that it's in three, four, the fact that it is uh, outlining minor. It sounds like this. But as that scene ends, uh, and I guess I'll just call this piece right now, the queen makes a wish because that's where it really started kicking in with uh, Larry's when he said that to Allison. Um, there is a baseline that has been going, but not in combination with the motive, so to speak. But when they combine, it creates this chromatic effect lifting up towards the tonic, towards where the home key is, where that melodic figure is based out of. But because it is chromatic, meaning it moves just by one step at a time and creeps towards that final place, it feels uncomfortable. Chromatic is uncomfortable for our ears uh, most of the time. And the fact that it's rising shows that Laris is rising in power as well. He is, of course, now, I guess, the Lord of Hall. He's inherited Hall. He has something on the queen. And that really uh, gives him a lot more power now. He can say, he can say, yeah, I did it. The queen asked me to do it. Uh, it puts Allison in a terrible position, really. Uh, but uh, it's it's brilliant move by Laris. But when you combine the two, they sound like this. And that's all that we have to talk about musically this time around. I really love that. I suspect we will hear those combinations that we just heard again. Now, obviously, I could be wrong because I'm basing this evidence on one single episode. So uh, I'll be happy at the end of the season to say I'm wrong if we never hear this again. But I'm waiting to hear it again. Hopefully we will. And again, I guess it's a motive for Laris. But for now, I'm just going to call it the Queen's Makes a Wish because that was the cue that uh, it was uh, or the dialogue that the cue uh, really had its biggest impact on. Back to our panel to start the Wheel of Topics next. Holly, as usual, my glasses aren't good enough. Um, people in my profession aren't supposed to be this blind. But what does it say? There's that, the, oh God, it says that there's new Targ lines, Targaryen lines that are shown in the intro. New Targaryen lines in the intro. I gotta confess, Holly, that I actually uh, hit the skip button and have been hitting the skip button on the intro because uh, I did find it, that intro, all that interesting. But what was interesting about this week? Okay, I the intro i know it's not for everybody i think a lot of people are disappointed they don't think it looks great i think it's a neat concept maybe not as execute not executed as well as the previous one but it's still fascinating how they can grow and change um along with the episodes and already has so far this season um and i did have to look it up what was happening because it goes so fast that it is really hard to track and then even things that i saw on this reddit post the Reddit post I found is from user, um, I'll just spell it, A-V-I-T-I-E-V-A, um, and they broke it down previously as well. Um, so before, it kind of stays the same in the beginning, uh, but we, instead of following Viserys's track down, we, we start to follow Damon's. So uh, Damon's sigil is the helm that looks like um, 
his helm, but the dragon wings on the side. I think before that or around that, we get like that distant shot with Allison and Viserys. It's kind of like way off in the background um, that there's more bloodlines coming out of Allison's. So that's actually apparently been changing week to week and we haven't really talked about it. So as she's having more kids, more little lines are coming out of her little sigil area. Um, after Damon, um, it goes to Lena, which looks like a braid or knot of some kind. Uh, Bela it then goes to Bela and Reyna, who each have like a little dragon egg as their little sigil. Um, it the post said that Harwin's is shown very briefly. It's a side profile of the gold cloak with a stylized helmet, and um, the blood from that apparently joins Rhaenyra's. That's the one I did not see, um, even after like rewinding and rewatching, and then. Um, then we, of course, after going to Rhaenyra, we get, um, Jace, Luke, and Joffrey. Um, and it should be noted that two are like Valyrian type sigils and one is a dagger. So, um, that's kind of interesting if you, um, are in the know why that would be interesting. It's, it's, it's an interesting choice. Um, so there we go. That was the new updates to the intro. And I, I'm going to keep tracking it week to week. I don't care if people don't like it. I think it's neat. So the intro essentially spoiled, uh, not that it was a, a mystery for very long, but it essentially spoiled the fact that Rhaenyra's kids uh, were Harwin's. It does. It does. It does. But the, the children still have like Valerian sigil things on their thing, kind of showing right. at least what family they represent. So right. yes. Again, and that's the part that is so fast that you can't tell. And I couldn't tell who was what without like reading this and then pausing and seeing it, which I didn't do the first time. I just noticed it was different and made a mental back and check later, but still don't understand what all the different sigils mean until somebody else breaks it down for me because the internet is so smart. Well, I, I'm glad to see that they are continuing to update it like that. Um, and um, I do think it's very interesting um, I still, my biggest complaint still is that um, I wish that they would put the, you know, little name up above the sigil or something like they used to do with, you know, that when you'd see uh, Winterfell or Dragonstone or whatever, didn't they have the names up by the various things, various places? Uh, I don't, can't remember. I that. know at least they did in the first couple of seasons for certain. I don't recall how it went later on. Right, right. So this goes by so fast. I, I keep trying to really watch closely every time and i just can't i still can't keep up with it so that's my biggest complaint there yeah i'm constantly having to reach out to the internet for help with any any kind of interpretation of it all i think you're right i think the speed at which Mm -hmm. things happen um and just the size of the emblems themselves uh right uh, especially if you're like me and you're not really watching it on a huge tv and you're quite a ways away from the tv or you know and i'm just pushing my uh my hbo max to my tv it's not like i'm uh you know watching it uh on the broadcast either that way i can have the captions really easy as well and i can change the size of them and all of that stuff because i don't know how to change any of that on my tv but i agree that uh you know, I just, I, I really, I find it boring and I just skipped over it um, because I'm going to see these characters. Uh, so I don't really care uh, whose blood goes into who, but that's just me. <laughs> yeah. 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 And uh, I mean, as I said, I think the whole premise is really clever and 
like you mentioned with the little sigils, even that's interesting if they would get a clear shot of them, but a lot of them, they're just kind of like off to the angle and you can't even really get a good glance at what's inside the little circle before they're off onto something else. Right. So, yep. yeah. Agreed. Uh, Susan, I can't read that wheel. Uh, what, what does, what does that say on there? Um, new faces, same old characters. Okay. So this would be regarding, I guess, Emma and Olivia's takeover uh, uh-huh. of the main roles, of course. And uh, there's a lot of uh, new castings actually in this, even though some of them don't last very long. Like Lena, I think was a one-time cast off. Uh, we've got Lenore and and a whole bunch of others, uh, but I guess pre- predominantly we should concentrate on uh, Emma Darcy and Olivia Cook's takeover of the main roles and really the relationship between Allison and Rhaenyra in general. So, what thoughts do you have about that? Oh, I think that both actors did an excellent job with the characters. So, um, I don't have any anything but praise for their performances excellent oh and what about alice and rhaenyra themselves i mean everything seems to have been amped up a lot more venomous than it used to yeah uh uh, yeah i agree and um i guess probably the most drastic change in character uh, seemed to be allison in terms of um you know we we saw from the wedding her entrance at the wedding and and the way she greeted Renera in that scene that uh you know mm. she was pretty cold but she's really gotten um bitter and angry and resentful of her um i felt like one thing with Renera is she does seem to be showing a little bit more political savvy uh, you know, one of my uh, observations of her in the first few episodes is her behavior towards uh, some of the other nobles um, was not going to endear her to them when maybe she later on would need their uh, alliances. Um, and one of the noticeable ones in this one was uh, when she was walking to uh, see the queen in that first initial scene. Did you notice the uh, Lord and Lady Caswell on the stairs that greeted her? I did, but I don't remember who they are. They're from Bitterbridge. So they were offering their, like, you know, whatever we can do for you. And she was saying, the day may come, you know. <laughs> right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Some writing on the wall there. Yeah, yeah. And she seemed to show a little bit more savvy about... Uh, <sighs> relationships and um, politics when she was in the the uh, council scene as well. John, let me ask you real quickly about this. What did you think about the new takeover of the roles? What did you think of Olivia Cook and Emma Darcy's portrayal of Allison and Rhaenyra? Loved it. I thought they were, I thought they were great. Um, personally, I found it very weird when I heard they didn't even talk to the other actresses. Like they didn't even they didn't interact, and the fact that they still pick things up and it felt authentic was surprising to me. But I think when you have directors and showrunners that are involved from the beginning, they're gonna they're gonna keep people on track. They're gonna got they sh- they're it's they're kind of their job to shepherd them through. And if they're not, then it's kind of a mess. But 
I thought it was I I thought it was great. I'm interested to hear more from people that I guess aren't tuned for it that were kind of like, what's with the what's with the time jump? So yeah. Yeah, so for us, it's probably a little bit easier to accept because we we knew this was coming, sort of, mm-hmm. or expected it. Where somebody who's going in cold might not. Yeah, I I find with even my like people I work with and some family members who are more casual viewers, I kind of tried to warn them. I was like, hey, just by the way, like you're probably gonna see aged up like new actors because everything's kind of getting aged up and like not without being spoilery but um and they all kind of were aware it was coming for the most part so even even that shouldn't be too much of a shock unless they just like record it and don't hear or talk to anybody about it like during the week which i'm sure some people do um but I think they kind of talked about it a lot too. And even in the earlier episodes, if you're watching the inside of the episode, like I'm young Rhaenyra, you know, like, so we know things are, that they're going to not be all the same forever. Yeah. I could have done with a couple more episodes of, of Millie and Emily actually, but I felt like the transition was uh, really good. I could have used a lot more of every version of Lena Valerian because all of them were delightful and I love them. I mean, you got it right there. That's like one of those things where Lena was just awesome all the way yeah, every to the end. Every single one. Every single one. Yeah. Um, yeah. Three, right? This, this show is doing a really good yeah. job of making us fall in love with characters um, like Thrones did, but giving us just a fraction of the time with them. I mean... Even from episode one, Emma Aaron, amazing, loved her, gone. Uh, Ray Royce, we got two minutes of, gone. Uh, Harwin Strong, not enough of, and I know a lot of, a lot of, a lot of ladies out, out there are going to be upset um, or very upset about Harwin Strong. He got real popular last week and now he's gone. Um, and then also uh, now every version of Lena. So they just kind of keep giving us these characters that we barely get to spend enough time with, just enough to be like, oh, this person's cool. I like them. Then gone. So uh, the takeover and takeover of the roles themselves. Uh, how did the actors do? I thought they did fantastic. And kind of like I was describing when I was talking about my rating, I really do think that this these are it like these are the people for me they they sold both of them immediately I know some people may disagree about Alicent but um I guess coming from the book reader perspective where you kind of have a distant view of these characters anyway Alicent already always just kind of came off more as the the evil more evil one um so just to kind of see that play out felt true to like how I felt about her reading the book but also uh, not which does not take away from any um, empathy I've built up for her over the last five episodes, which are real. I I really do empathize her a lot with her a lot more as a character, which I can thank Emily Carey for for that for her performance and building that. And then now um, Olivia Cook is here and and taking over and and really showing us how what Emily Carey's version of the character went through has made her into this version of her today and. Um, and then on the other side, I thought um, Emma Darcy was fantastic and um, a lot like Millie Alcock, but a little bit more uh, reserved and calculating. And it's kind of funny to me. I think they actually kind of flipped their, um, I want to say their personalities, but like 
Allison has a little bit more fire and is fighting now where she was a little bit more subdued and, and just observant and quiet early. And now uh, we have Rhaenyra that's being like more of the quiet one and Allison like flying off the handle over another bastard being born. And um, it's uh, it's really interesting take. And honestly, um, with the intro with Emma Darcy and the whole, that whole birthing scene, um, I, by the time she was walking to <laughs> up the stairs to visit Allison, I was, I was in, um, she sold it for me. She sold it so well. I thought that was a really beautiful scene. And while we're on this topic, I just have to say, I really, really love that the show is still continuing to show us the realistic version of giving birth and how it's not a fairy tale and the baby comes out and everybody's happy and like, oh, mom's just tired. She needs to rest. Like, no, she is expelling afterbirth. She is bleeding. She should not be walking, but she's bleeding out as she's walking out of that room, which I kind of thought, haha, like, I hope she bled all over Allison's pillow um, while she was up there. She said she had to walk up there with her baby. Um, and, and, I've got off train, my train of thought. So well, the train keeps on rolling. And I will add that I think for me, maybe this was in the writing um, more so than in actually in Olivia Cook's portrayal, because I can in my own head justify how 10 years have has magnified the urgency for Allison um, especially if she, you know, obviously in the last episode when they were younger, uh, the thing that appalled Allison about it wasn't the fact that whether it was with Damon or with Kristen, it was the fact that it had happened at all. Yeah. And now, uh, you know, here's this third strong that has been born to Rhaenyra, more or less. Um, and so it's just becoming too much. So that coupled with the idea that uh, this idea that her father is stuck in her head about not being able to uh, do anything unless Rhaenyra is taken off as the heir because Rhaenyra is going to do nothing except kill, kill her children, which I mean, if you catch your son in the window the way that Allison did and you don't even mention it, instead your bigger concern is whether he's going to live or die. Um, that tells you right there that Allison does truly love her kids, uh, regardless of how she may feel about Viserys now or any of Viserys's family. She does truly love her kids. And so uh, I can see all of that. The problem that I had was then, you know, you're building up all of this tension and Allison is becoming stronger and stronger and stronger and more opinionated. And and uh, that makes sense. But then right at the last minute when Larry's pulls her into his little Lionel and uh, Harwin plot. Then she's suddenly like, I didn't wish for that. You know, like all of a sudden she's a victim again. Uh, and I didn't see it that way at all. I, I didn't see it Laris way either. Laris took a lot of Liberty with the Queens. The queen makes a wish, yeah. but uh, at the same time uh, to, to flat out deny is what I read from that um, seemed like the writers trying to pull some of that back and make us feel something for Allison in that moment when I'm not sure that I should, given the way that she's been in the whole episode. Well, I don't, you're right. I agree with you that she, she is very pious and, and outraged over some uh, 
births uh, out of wedlock. However, that is not the same as murder either. So I really, I really do believe that she did not intend for, or, or even really insinuate to Laris to do what he did. I don't think that's what she was asking for. I do believe that she was shocked. Um, and I think she just learned a lesson about being used <laughs> and um, a little bit in, uh, in her position. But however, it's, it's kind of transactional, you know, like they, she's got somebody to do weird things for her and that's cool. I don't think she's happy with it, but, but I think she's, she's kind of stuck. Uh, she made a mistake. She, she realized she made a mistake, but now she can get what she wants also. So, which is somebody on her side, like her father. Yeah. But uh, overall, I did like the, uh, the portrayals. I feel like Emma Darcy, they are an incredible portrayal of that role of Rhaenyra and they just did a job that completely sold me there were also some things about that first birthing scene uh the way that Rhaenyra looked in terms of the striking resemblance to Emma with Mm -hmm. the the way the hair was even the sounds and the facial expressions made Emma Darcy's portrayal feel even uh, from a physical looking standpoint closer to being part of that Targaryen family. Um, and not that the, the looks between Emily Carey and, and Olivia Cook are that different. I, you can see a logical aging from Emily to Olivia as well. Uh, it was just such an amping of the attitude right off the bat uh, that, that kind of took me aback a little bit. But I, I keep telling myself, you know, 10 years have passed. There's been 10 years of watching these bastards come out of Rhaenyra. There's been 10 years of your children still being in danger. You know, at first just the two children and now three. Uh, so, yeah, I, I get it. It's just uh, it, it seemed a little less smooth to me than than the Rhaenyra transition. I, I, I think what, what really helped was um, they brought in the best line from the book uh, that Alicent says when she remarks to Lenor about um, telling him to keep trying. Uh, yeah. Um, just keep trying. Eventually one's going to look like you. Like it's just straight from the book. I love it. It's such a, it's so perfectly cold and ugh, I love it. I loved it. This is likely Lord Larry's. Uh, if we were on a double P podcast, as Holly and I sometimes do for the, the dust, which covers his dark materials, we'd call that a triple L. Uh, but uh, now the heir to Hall, probably. And additionally, he's got the queen kind of uh, in a spot, uh, a spot that she made, but a spot nonetheless. And here is a guy that we really regret not being on last week uh, all together to talk about because there's been so many cool things uh, that have been considered about him, especially by our friend Joe Magician, who uh, did an excellent YouTube video on it. Uh, before the uh, the fourth episode or the fifth or before the fifth episode, I can't remember. I guess it was the fifth, yeah last week's episode. He had put it out uh, like the Friday before that episode came out talking about all these possibilities about how Laris uh, 
uh, might know things going on around in King's Landing and especially in the Red Keep because of certain abilities that he might have, uh, not unlike uh, Jojen's green seeing or Bran's green seeing or things like that. So I love that idea. Uh, and uh, I think uh, John had even said, you know, well, this is going to be my personal headcanon no matter what from now on. So I, I love uh, that idea, too. But there are other things to consider. Let's explore this avenue first, Holly. Yeah, I'm, I'm see, ready to talk about this. I wanted to bring it up last week. I would have brought it up last week. Had of we course. Been, yeah, but... I think we all were going to bring it up last week. But there's so many rats running around. So many rats running around. If Laris has any kind of ability similar to Brands, where he could warg into some of these creatures, uh, not only is Larry's a rat, but he can play one on TV. <laughs> so I love this idea. Um, I, I can think of countless abilities. The, the, an insider article also brought up the fact that he may have actually had the T scent, but I don't believe that. Um, I think that's taken it a step too far. And it's not what Joe really says in his in his video. He's just saying that he knows all this stuff because he has these ideas. But what did you want to say about uh, Larry Strong besides the fact that he is now a kinslayer, um, which makes him even more accursed than than he was before? Um, nope. Just to, I just wanted to make sure that we talked about that. Yeah, Laris is maybe a green seer, and I think he very much is like Bran, where he is both like he can warg and has the sight. Um, because there was a lot of conversations, a lot of really important conversations that did take place on that Godswood in front of that weirwood tree that has information that Laris would have known enough to like at first confront Alice about. So I, I just feel like, yes. And, and yes, he's definitely all the rats. Um, and I feel like Viserys was even kind of onto it this time around. He, we see the rat when he, it's right after Rhaenyra leaves and um, Viserys is holding Emma's ring and he's sad and he's like crying and he's kissing it. And then he like the rat like scurries by and he kind of like notices and like, it's almost like he felt like he was being watched. So he kind of stopped what he was doing. And I thought that was really interesting. And that all but confirmed the theory for me. So like, I'm, uh, that's it. Like, I, I just believe it now. Um, you can't, they can't change my mind. Um, and not really Laris. I think it's messed up. Hey, okay. Yeah. It's killing your father and your brother. It's pretty, pretty terrible. Um, and without even like a hint of any, hate or dislike towards either of them it seems like like harwin was kind of his big brother a big protector um so you know they seem to have a good relationship it wasn't like aim uh aegon and amon where they're like fighting you know siblings fighting and or even damon and viserys in that matter um they seem to get along well so the fact that he could just off his dad and off his brother without much thought is pretty sociopathic and what's his end goal i mean just like now he's lord of Hall and he's got he's got the queen kind of snagged um in a trap so what where else could he go from here and what what does he have to gain is he little finger and just trying to sow chaos in the world um he's definitely not varus and doing it for the realm uh, that seems right. for dang sure so john uh what have you been thinking about 
in regards to Laris Strong. I know that we've all watched uh, Joe Magician's video, and uh, you had even said in our chat that, that you know this is this is now my head cannon. Uh, you know, and Holly thinks that it's, you know, she's like, you're not going to, I'm not going to unsee this now. And we were talking about the rats and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, how uh, Laris might even be using them, but what his purpose is, is still unclear. And that maybe makes him even more intriguing, but what are your thoughts of Laris Strong? That's, uh, I didn't even put the rats together, but that should be like warging 101. And that's like, that would be an amazing thing for him to have. So I love that. Um, but no, it. I, I said that in jest, but no, I will. I, I, it is mildly interesting that that whole thing. So if you're curious about it, go watch that video. Just Joe Magician Laris. You'll you'll see something interesting. But the um, the character itself, I think this is the uh, Joker of Westeros. <laughs> He, he is uh, just throwing Molotov cocktails. Um, I think he's a little bit more uh, hinged and probably appropriate than the Joker would be. He, he's chaotic, but he's like a controlled chaotic. Mm. Um, be right before you arrived, John, I, when we were talking about this, I literally said some people just want to watch the world or in this case, Hall burn. <laughs> So we're on the same page for sure. <laughs> yeah. They, Everyone keeps calling him are... Littlefinger. I'm getting kind of tired of everybody feeling, oh, this is so-and-so from the first series. This is so-and-so from the first series. It's like these characters are actually, they're, they're in a vein or a lane that's similar, but they're very different. Like, just like people. <laughs> just like people. <laughs> like real people are actually different. So are these characters. Right. Um, on the other hand, George likes history to repeat itself. So that's why a lot of people go back to those uh, those tropes. Fair, but Laris is not a little finger. I'm not even close. Littlefinger was I, I think Littlefinger was a jazz uh chaotician. Like he would kind of imp improv his way, but he kind of had somewhat of a plan, but if things he would know how to kind of improv his way back to another lane. It's like, okay, they didn't go the way I want, but Here's here's the angle I can play. Where I think Laris, he's just like I'm gonna just gonna throw the the rock into the water and it's gonna ripple out and whatever happens happens. Yeah. Um, as far as the warging uh, or other capabilities, um, I suppose that is a possibility. I mean, it's quite obvious that he has a network of informers or a network of gathering information one way or another. And the possibility that he would use some um, magical means to do some of that, um, I guess, you know, that, that, that could be. I don't know that I've seen enough to convince me mm -hmm. that that's true. You know, it's just kind of like, you know, that might be possible. I mean, you know, everybody's making the big deal about the fact that the where would uh, tree does seem to play a prominent role and is often uh, there when critical conversations and so forth are being made. We do know that the strong family is a first man's family, first men, so they are more likely to have that green seer warging capability there. You know, I'm open to it. I'm not convinced. 
I'm more convinced that we got more of a hint that we might have a a dreamer in um, one of Allison's children. Excellent. Anything else on Lord Laris? Likely Lord Laris. He hasn't been named Lord yet. Yeah. Well, I mean, he is obviously come to significant prominence now and is going to be someone that people are going to be wanting to keep close track of. Um, But uh, yeah, he's pretty despicable at this point. I'm finally glad that we've got somebody that I I can actually decide to hate because I have a hard time with (laughs) Alicent and Rhaenyra or any of these other things. It's like I can see uh, their viewpoint on all of this stuff, even Otto. Uh, because uh, I know a lot of comparisons are going out there between Laris and Littlefinger. And I remember people making comparisons of the same to Otto. And I'm thinking, no, if Otto's like anybody, he's more like a Varys. He's thinking of the realm more um, because he's wanting to avert war. I mean, obviously it it profits him as well. But but I I think that uh, he at least uses that as concern where it looks like... uh, I believe, as John said, Laris is just throwing grenades and seeing what blows up. Yeah. Um, it, I've heard that Littlefinger comparison a lot, too. I guess the one thing is that Littlefinger seemed to be a little bit more, well, sometimes a little bit more obvious in his machinations. I mean, this guy's been really under the radar yeah. up until now. Um, and the one thing that I do want to keep bringing up about Otto keep reminding everybody as the story goes forward is that um, it was Otto in the first place who was promoting Rhaenyra as the heir Mm -hmm. because of his concerns over Daemon. So if he hadn't done that, if he hadn't been so adamant about uh, making sure that that, uh, Viserys um, did something about that, then it would have been a lot more likely that his grandson would have easily been recognized as the heir without any of that. And so, yeah, he kind of helped to make his own mess here. And uh, Dragon Carly. Rider's death is the topic that has come up on the wheel, ladies and gentlemen. Dragon Rider's death. Oh, my God. Uh, Lena and her agency towards the way that she wanted to go uh, and the way that she presented her case to Damon all the way through her bravery through you know one of the things she was having uh I, I felt like there were several times throughout the episode before the birthing scene where she was kind of clutching clutching her belly a little bit like something was bothering her a little bit so I think they were kind of foreshadowing throughout the episode that she was going to have trouble with this birth uh, but there's so many circumstances of this that are like Emma's and and what have you and the differences in the way that uh, Damon uh, approached it as opposed to Viserys. She mentions in this episode, I want to ask you this specifically. She mentioned in this episode that uh, she bonded with Vegar at age 15. Mm-hmm. So was she, was that prior to the wedding of Rhaenyra and Lenore or was that after the wedding of Lenore and Renor? Because now I'm seeing Damon in whole different ways, even more so <laughs> if she was younger than 15. Um, I would think it would have been before the wedding. Okay. Yeah. Though, uh, you know, it, it is interesting, you know, I mean, we didn't see Vagar prior to this episode, and I know that everybody was kind of, uh, that was excited about getting to see 
that dragon had um you know every episode they were waiting for that and a lot of people thought maybe she would be uh coming with the crew as they were coming to the wedding but we only saw um Rainey's dragon and Laner's dragon we saw sea smoke and uh, uh the red queen flying there and yeah. uh, you would think that if Lena was flying Vagar, that she would have been part of that as well. <laughs> Maybe Vagar doesn't like King's Landing that much anymore. Maybe that's what it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she started out on Vagar, and Vagar said, "Nope, not going. I know that town. I ain't going back." Right. Uh, <laughs> but what about Lena herself? enjoyed her i enjoyed her quite a uh, a lot it would have been nice uh and this is this is one criticism i've heard about this episode i know that it's important to have the time jumps because they're wanting to get through all this material to set up the dance in this first season so i do understand that but i've heard a lot of people say gee i wish i would have had a better chance to get to know lena i wish i would have had a better chance to get to know Harvin Strong a little bit more, that both right. of these characters were gone so quickly. Um, and the dragon death, death by uh, Vagar that occurred in this episode, that is, again, a little bit a little bit of a change from the book, but one right. that I, I really appreciated. I think it was uh, a, uh, uh, an interesting choice that they made because in the book... Um, you know, she's trying to make it to Vagar to take one more ride, but uh, collapses on the stairs, is taken back to her bed and dies. Well, that would have been, you know, just another child bed birth death scene. <laughs> and yeah. this, you know, gave her the the um, option of going out as a dragon rider like she had uh, been telling Damon in the previous conversation. So, yeah. I thought it was a great choice. And it also gave the opportunity to explore a little bit more about that bond between the rider and the dragon, because you got to see that Vagar was reluctant yes. to uh, to do this in the first place. But, and that uh, was very emotional for me. Actually, I got so much emotion out of uh, Vagar refusing, not wanting to follow that right. command because of its connect of her connection to Lena, uh, that was just... Yeah, yeah. You got the impression there that finally Vigar decided to give in because she could, you know, sense that uh, that uh, Lena was, uh, you know, suffering and so, you know, probably went ahead and yeah. went through with it. There's one other thing uh, that some gatekeepers are talking about, and that's the nature of, of uh, the baby and the birth itself. Um, and then we'll point to things like, well, you know, there was a description of, of Daenerys' baby in Game of Thrones. Why didn't they at least try that here? Uh, I prefer the parallel of the fact that Damon has to try to come to the same decision that Viserys did. Uh, I, I like the irony of that. Me too. Yeah. Yeah, I, I thought the choices that they made about this were really good this is you know one of those times where not you know not significantly different than the book but um the, the differences that they made i think enhanced the story me too anything else on lena or on damon for that matter uh, i guess there was a little bit 
cut from the scene of him comforting the children after Lena's death that uh, is kind of regrettable because that would have shown a little bit more of his, uh, you know, being a good father, having some closeness with the with the children. As opposed um, to the guy who murdered his wife, his first wife. Right, right, right. Yeah, you know, that's that's where, uh, you know, it was too bad that uh, we didn't, uh, weren't able to have that conversation about that last week because it would have been the first time that I would have been on a dame off instead of dame on right. uh, side of the coin. <laughs> so, yeah, I think they definitely gave us a little bit more introspection into the character and you know i guess to try to get across the idea that uh 10 years and being a father and so forth had had changed him a little bit i heard that one person kind of uh, this interpretation i really liked about the idea that um lena was calling damon on the fact that he didn't really want to be in pentos because he wasn't going out into the city and enjoying it or whatever but he was really kind of just avoiding the situation at home. So maybe mm-hmm. the idea that he recognized that uh, his he just ended up causing trouble with the scenarios. And so removing himself from that, uh, you know, helped the situation. So, yeah, if that's the if that is uh, aspect or one way to look at it, that would definitely show some maturity on his part as well. I guess we'll have to see where he goes from here. Exactly. Oh my God. This was the first time I, I really, really cried for this show when she, she's outside and yelling Vagar at Vagar to Drakar as her. Um, and then I do want to talk more about Vagar because this is the first time we didn't really talk. We haven't talked about Vagar yet. How, what a glorious ginormous wrinkly old lady she is my god but um if you have the subtitles on and right before he she blows the fire it says vagar wailing and i was just like heart oh my gosh i really did i cried a lot for that scene it was it was rough um and it says a lot about these actresses everyone that has played her because we've gotten so little of her and to have her go out like that and for me to have an emotional reaction like that i think really says a lot about the performance um and then yes great that they um kind of did a reflection on the first episode and how damon would have handled it versus how sarah's handled it and and damon said yeah no we're not even gonna no we're not gonna do that we're not gonna cut her i love i it it made me love him more again um just uh, man i i will say this sorry i will say this uh as far as what the animators for these dragons can do, two of the hugest, most emotional moments for me were this one in this particular episode and the season, the series finale of Game of Thrones, uh, when Drogon was like nudging Daenerys and what have you. I said this in the, in the initial reaction. It's like, um, you know, their sense of the, the way they've been able to somehow animate the acting into these dragons of a sense of loss of a sense of of despair a sense of sadness uh has really uh surpassed anything else that i've seen done with these kind of creatures in any other movies granted i don't watch a whole lot of movies with dragons in them so there's not a lot to compare 
as far as my stuff goes. But I think that um, if if I see dragons like that, because I don't get invested in the dragons, I could care less, to be perfectly honest with you. I know, I know, it's sacrilege to say around here, but I could really care less about dragons. But when you combine that kind of animation and with a real moment um, that will make you relate to the human feelings that we all have as we're losing somebody or what have you, then I feel like, you know, that stuff's always going to hit me in a certain place, partially because I'm just, I'm, I'm drawn to that for some reason. I don't know, but it works so well. It's something that twice now, the, uh, the visual effects people have proven to me that they can do. And that has made me more invested in the dragons than I would be. Do you think I want to keep track of 15, 16 dragon names? I don't want to do that. But the show, the way they're animating them is keeping me from not being able to. I have to learn who these dragons are and, and, and what they mean to the characters and what they ultimately mean to me. Sorry, John, I'll leave it to you for the last word. Oh, no, no. Keep on going. I, I, I just hope you I mean, you cannot care about these dragons all you want, man. That's fine. I got, I got just, enough. I got enough care for Matt. Don't worry. Yeah. But if you start telling me you don't care about the dire wolves, then we're going to have issues. I never did care about the dire wolves. <gasps> Mother I'm hanging up right now. Wow. I, I really might. I'm so, I cannot believe you just said that while I'm sitting right here. Wow. You disgraced Jack's memory. Oh, I did not disgrace Jack's memory. Jack, Jack loved the direwolves. Okay. He told me. Okay. Well, Ghost I, gave his ear uh, for you. To, to Ghost Jack. gave <laughs> his ear for you. Uh, I'm going to, I'm just going to, just going to say that, you know, uh, I had no problem with the direwolves. I just simply was much more invested in the humans and the dire wolves, as was the show. So uh, that's uh, a criminal of the show, criminal of me. <laughs> and we'll just leave it at that. Uh, dire I, wolves I, were also conversely very interested in their humans. I mean, Bran, Summer saved Bran. Um, and the books, Nymeria does more stuff that doesn't happen in the show. That's really cool. And Ghost okay i'm done <laughs> I, I i sincerely apologize to all the direwolves lovers out no, it's there okay. it's okay man. just a reminder that the north is cold is Don't all it is to let me. it happen again so there you go you might want to cut that one out i'm gonna fire it? you from the podcast i've been fired i've been fired good then you can edit <laughs> for me that's <laughs> you can edit them from now on and, and upload them so listeners it's been really nice talking to you guys this was our last podcast apparently. <laughs> <laughs> so i don't know how to do any of that john tell me about dragons Dra uh, are we doing dragons or are we we're talking about the dragon Vagar. riders death? we're talking about, talking about Vagar. okay Vagar and lena no that's a great scene super super emotional um i was trying to get in my john snow character but i'm really really bad at it i'll, I'll promise i'll resurrect it so i can uh, so matt can extract his pound of flesh from me so to speak <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, you know, don't make me offer you another punishment because you didn't fulfill this one. Oh, I mean, whatever. What, what's the worst that can happen? You fire me from a podcast you don't pay me to do? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Dedicated to George R.R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire book series. I was excited because I was like, a direwolf does something in this episode and it was still almost nothing. 
and just as much stuff that has happened since then with direwolves, like it just makes me really sad. And I will never not be okay with how little the direwolves are used. Well, no, oh, I totally agree. Have one less mammoth. I loved the mammoths. This is me saying I love the mammoths, but have one less mammoth. We want the direwolves. There's emotional in connection to the direwolves, not to the mammoths. Like the mammoths are just like eye candy. And the HBO Game of Thrones franchises. I prefer to think of it more like this. It's like, you know, maybe he just killed a couple wildlings, but maybe they were the two key wildlings that had to be killed. <laughs> maybe it was Ghost who actually turned the tide of the battle. You're listening to Before the Dragon. Don't tell me what to do. Do, 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 do. Lena Vega, that's, that's, that's such a, that's a deep moment. And it's so, oh, it's very, very rough. It's a rough, rough go. And then you can actually see Damon, like, get emotional. Because he comes out and he sees what she's doing. He's like, what the bloody blank are you doing? And... She she actually gets uh, Vagar to do what she at, uh, commands her to do. And it's just like, and you can tell it's not like a full flame either. Like, like she modulated that flame. She kept it under control. And it's like, I'm just doing this to the bare minimum. And uh, it was, it was brutal. It was brutal. I mean, if, if you would have saw like, a, you see her skeleton at that one point, if you saw like a little baby skeleton, like in her belly, I would have like, that would have been a, probably a bit too much. Oh my God. You just said two things that I didn't think about that just made it 10 times sadder for me. Oh my God. Oh my God. You're right about the fireball because we saw her, we saw Vagar make a giant fireball in the sky that Caraxes and Damon had to then fly through um, just at the beginning of the episode. And then, wow, like a baby skeleton in the belly. Like that's, that's some red wedding level sadness right there. Um, Ah, awful. Man, damn. Yeah, yeah, it's brutal. But you notice if you watch that scene again, they purposely don't go past the rib cage. God. Yeah, it stays it stays out of the out of the abdominal and pelvic area for sure. Oh man. But the show, man, how many deaths did we get? We got three by fire. In this episode? episode. (laughs) Yeah. Oh no. (laughs) <laughs> we i i got i got the scoreboard behind us <laughs> it's gonna oh be gosh. it's gonna be brutal there was at least one at the tourney in the first episode okay well we'll we'll do this we'll add body count to the dragon count um and then we might need to even need a dragon body count who knows and dra- Ooh. oh and, oh yeah and, and i was i was thinking i was thinking that of laris and the torturing there for a second but that's no no one but yeah, so we had how, however many people at Heron Hall. Then you had the strong boys, dad and son, and then Lena. Is there anyone else? No, not that I can think of. No, yeah, everybody else was just a casualty of the tongue. Oh, man. Brutal. That was pretty brutal by Laris. <laughs> but it's a perfect plot. Nobody can say anything anymore. Yep. And assuming that those guys don't have uh, writing skills, uh, which may have been an assumption by Laris or may have been planned, uh, but that's the perfect way to get somebody to set the place fire and not be able to tell who told them to do it. Wow. Yeah, we'll talk about that because I have, I have some I that feels like lazy planning, but we'll go now. Okay, we'll go into it now. So. so... <laughs> So Larison is uh, his crazy concoction and planning. Um, 
what what kind of in, in, insurance do you have that they're going to do that? Like you took their tongs and you said, go off and you got to go do this for me. And then like, you're good. Like, does he have like some guards like standing from afar, watching them, making sure, okay, you, you got to light that fire. Cause if you don't, we're going to kill you. Like, like I, I just, I mean, it, it works. It's a gamble, but if they didn't do it, at least they're not going to go around telling anybody that they asked, that he asked they them were to. Asked so, yeah, that's true. He covered, he covered his but like they tell they taught it me in business school <laughs> or in medical C- school C- for CY, CY, they it's actually cya i don't know if matt will allow me to say ass on the podcast though she's pushing me Fire. i don't think that's i don't think don't that's no that's not a, that's, that's not a uh that's not a word that they strike from none okay. Yeah. because cover you your ass is a uh is an official term i learned in business school that it's it's a smart thing to to know just you learn ass. it in certain fields of medicine also mm, that's scary you guys were taught well but yeah no just i <laughs> the, what was funny was is it was they did such a good job of separating the the tongue scene from like the fire setting scene to the part where they like show up on those beetles on their on their whatever outfit you want to call it, a tunic or something i'm just like yeah. i'm like who's the beetle it's on his uh, it's on, on his, his cane oh yeah. no i i had to i rewind it i'm figured I, like it, i put it together without seeing the symbols but then i did rewind it. i'm like oh okay there it was because it was like i'm like okay so these guys weren't talking oh the tongs i'm like oh the tongs that's it's like man, i'm like dude laris you're ooh, you're a cruel mother scratcher at first i thought the beat the little beetle things on there tunics shirts their westro shirts i thought mm-hmm. those were the tongues at first and i thought they were <laughs> shriveled and then on my second watch i was like okay no those aren't the tongues but that'd be weird you know that's like when they made jamie wear his hand um around his neck well that's that's the thing that's so crazy about laris is why give those guys a calling card like that mm-hmm. where you could be identified that way it's true mm. that's true that's even a, that he's he's sloppier and lazier but maybe this is why he is. No, I, th- I think the I masks. think ultimately maybe he wants recognition for this. Like I said, I think that his his quest is for history, not for uh, that's his legacy, because he does all of that talking about how children being a legacy is just fodder. And I think that mm. he wants to be remembered as the guy that did all of this somehow. That's interesting. And I mean, in, oh, it's even more interesting from the standpoint of having read the history books of the in-world history book. Um, Laris's story is very shrouded. Like you don't know mm-hmm. much about him. So if that was his goal to be like infamous or notorious, he failed all this. Oh, he failed gloriously. Because <laughs> <laughs> like, because like he, we just know he pops up here and there. He's like the Where's Waldo um, of Westeros. The Where's Waldo of Westeros. That's if we were on the Double P network, we would say that's a triple W. Triple W. Okay. Uh, Are we ready to move off of Lena since we got so far off the subject? We stayed in the else. Sir Harwin, we didn't really see him break too many bones. Uh, We did see him break some cartilage in this last episode. Uh, We probably broke uh, Kristen Cole's nose, but that's not a bone, ladies and gentlemen. We barely knew him, uh, but I, I think, to me at least, uh, you know, 
it seems really unfortunate that we didn't get to talk about how everybody was reacting to him carrying Rhaenyra out of the room and everything. And and now, uh, you know, you're expecting a whole bunch of stuff about Sir Harwin this time around. And uh, you got his investment in his kids. But outside of that, uh, it was over pretty quickly. Poor guy. Yeah, definitely was just like uh, Lena, um, both of them that uh, were out both by fire at the end of this uh, episode. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a shame that uh, we didn't get to know either of them better. But uh, yeah, it was strong. I mean, the couple of uh, scenes that we got with him with Renee and the kids, I mean, there did seem to be some kind of uh, intimate knowing looks between strong and Rhaenyra as he was holding the baby and, and it did seem to be like a proud father the way he was behaving and and he seemed very affectionate with the other children um as well as the way that he was you know defending them out in the yard as much trouble as that got him in so he seemed like a really good guy all around in general um yeah that incident where he carried her out with the wedding after uh, she had just been telling Damon to carry her off was an interesting uh uh juxtaposition there yeah interesting yeah i i didn't even think of it in that way but you're right as far as that fight scene goes i mean obviously christian cole set him up well i think that christian cole was um acting in a similar manner that larry strong did uh later on in terms of the fact that he heard the queen uh, complaining about the fact that nobody was willing to be direct and outright about uh, the situation that uh, Strong was the real father. So he was wanting to do something to elicit a reaction so that uh, he could, uh, you know, bring the bring the obvious out. Um, so, yeah, I think it was a deliberate baiting on the part of Christian Cole. I love that. Thank you for comparison, comparing Kristen Cole, the, the likely Lord Laris Strong. Yeah. Uh, because uh, I, I love that. Uh, take that, Patman 23. Take that. <laughs> They're both awful. They're both I thought awful. that this episode gave us our first look at the Christian Cole that I know from the books. Oh, my God. Um, my thoughts were... Um... Between actually between last episode and this episode is um, Kristen Cole is the quote unquote nice guy, which is not like really a nice guy. But like if you're a lady, you've ultimately had a man who wanted to date you and and claimed that he was the nice guy. But then whenever you turned him down, no matter how gently um the reaction is so poor that you they they just like start calling you like a b or like a c because like how dare you you're he was such a nice guy we messed up like this has happened to all of us um and that's what Kristen cole is giving me right now um i think somebody else like i've heard him also referred to as an incel like this all kind of fits well um i feel like incels are from what I understood the definition of incel was, was maybe like they don't have to maybe they don't have to be virgins but like they're guys that don't get any and from what we know Kristen apparently did make his way around the block so I don't know why he just has this, he's just so hung up on Rhaenyra but yeah he's a nice guy 
Yeah, that conversation with him and Allison in the hallway before he starts the whole thing with Harwin was uh, just the setup for all of that with the fight. You know, uh, to me, uh, despite what my nemesis, Patman23, says, uh, you know, you see the motivation there. And then you see how he doesn't fight back during the fight, uh, not because he's innocent, but because that makes a stronger case for Harwin being the father. What a jerk. John, any thoughts about Kristen before we move on? He's a tool. I've not, I, I, it's one of those things where I, at the begin. I didn't get the pivot in the book is strong i'm like but Kristen, he's such a good guy and then it's like what happened and like how did he switch sides i didn't really get it like you weren't sure like you heard the rumors but it was never confirmed now we got the confirmation right dude this guy sucks yeah this guy is the worst he's terrible but i do have like a, a note for mr strong like dude what are you doing you're the city you're the city watch commander what are you doing hanging around the yard dude come on and like he, he's watching his boys but he, he did that's not the problem the cause, though. he didn't <laughs> he didn't he did not help the cause as okay was anybody else also surprised that like of all of the terrible people i just did not i i did not expect harwin strong to be the only good dad in westeros um but like that's where we are he was like what are you talking about holly he's not the good dad he's the guy that shows up at the little league game and fights the umpire okay mm-hmm. yes. well only when the umpire is getting out of control telling the kid to hit the other kid with a bat right 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 <laughs> look what he did wasn't great obviously for optics um uh, and all of that and you know the publicity of the royal family not great but it was nice to see somebody a father being supportive of their son and and it was sweet and i i was pleasantly surprised because i just didn't expect that from his character um so shame on me for making assumptions um because i shouldn't have and i was wrong and yeah harwin harwin earned a lot more of my respect this episode than he had previously i swear to god a guy carries a girl out of a room like a sack of potatoes and all of a sudden he's everybody's hero what's going on i'm telling you it took me until this episode to get to that point so yeah, but now you're going to look back on that sack potato, carry, and you're going to just reflect. And but it's he, going to change your whole perspective of that. He look, saw I, Rhaenyra at her worst, and he's like, I get you. Mm-hmm. She came yeah. all back all bloody. He's like, yeah, I see you, girl. Yeah. That, and then yeah. also, and like, oh, you then you, you going to mess around King's Lane and have fun. Have fun, babe. I'll see you later. <laughs> <laughs> R.I.P. Harwin. Uh, also okay we didn't talk about this either and i'm sorry that we're bringing it up now but it's not perfect but it was neat to see the renera and laner's marriage and how they were just mm. their their open marriage and seeing how they dealt with it and i think they had very healthy discussions um you know when Lanar wants to leave Rhaenyra like reels him back in but I think she brought up good points I think she she was it's great of her to let her live the way he wanted to live um I I respect that about them I wish it would have worked out better but I I kind of appreciate what they're doing and um you know shining a light on the different types of relationships that do actually exist out in the world so 
because there are some polyamorous people out there and like this kind of fits with that and like and or polygamy kind of things I don't know I just think it was neat to have some different representation and to see it kind of work does that make sense I did I don't know I don't well I don't know we I'm not going to psychoanalyze their relationship I don't think both of them they're entirely happy but it's the system it's not them no, but they're they're making it work the best way they can for them um, and and for being in their position. While endangering con- children. Uh, no matter what, if you're in the royal family, <laughs> you have children, you're <laughs> endangering them just by bringing them into the world because someone ultimately is always going to come after the crown. Yeah, but if you don't bring them into the world, then you got nobody to keep your power for your family. Exactly. It's a double edged Hashtag Laris was right. Oh. <laughs> so that's going to do it for part one of our panel podcast you'll get part two soon one of the things that i like to wrap up a podcast with is our scenes from a westerosi movie now we've already done all five in past episodes but to give you all a chance because you have up until october 10th to submit your answers to be eligible for the contest in order to win something nice from the warner brothers store the official Game of Thrones or House of the Dragon merchandise, if your choice, whatever you want to pick there. For instance, for my birthday, someone went to the Warner Brothers store and bought me this particular shirt. If you're on YouTube, I'm standing up so that you can see all of it. I'll try not to get too far away from the mic as I stand up. It's a very nice shirt. Really like it. It's made of good material and everything like that. You can win something like that that you choose if you submit all five correct answers, it does have to be five because I've already got three contestants who have submitted all five answers correctly. So that means we'll have to draw their name out of a hat or spin a wheel with their names on it and get the the actual winner out of those three. But you will win something like this, like the shirt that I'm wearing, if you can see it on YouTube, that that I am wearing something like this, something similar to it. On me, you don't have to pay for any shipping or anything. All you have to do is just tell me where to ship it and what size you want if you're getting a shirt or what have you. So I want you to win. There are six people who have submitted four out of five. Now, a couple of those have submitted wrong answers for one of them. And folks, if you have something wrong, I will email you back and tell you whether it's correct or not correct. So you get a chance to resubmit. I want as many people in this contest as possible with a chance to win a T-shirt. So if I sent you an email back saying, sorry, try again, then please try again because you're going to need all five correct answers to be into the drawing now since we have three already. And I want you to be able to be eligible to possibly win. Uh, One of those just hasn't submitted yet. So there may be a possible four contestants, uh, but they just haven't submitted their fifth answer yet or one of the movies. I don't even remember which one, but you need to guess what actual real life film. Well, they're not real life. They're all fictional films, but whichever film that you uh, think that the scene that we do, which has been twisted up to include characters from Westeros or to use Westerosi phrases, We just kind of mixed them up. We need you to guess the actual film and submit them to me. You submit them, of course, by tweeting 
at the letter B, the number four, the dragon pod on Twitter. You can send me a DM if that makes you feel comfortable. Just send me a tweet saying, hey, follow me so I can send you a DM. I will do that. Just don't try to sell me something. You know, I'm, I'm not interested in whatever it is that you're trying to sell through a DM. Um, you can privately, of course, submit emails. Send it to mattsaudioblog at gmail.com, M-A-T-T-S audioblog at gmail.com. If you don't care if other people see your answers, you can submit them via website comment, mattsaudioblog.com, or you can use the contact form at the website as well, mattsaudioblog.com, M-A-T-T-S audioblog.com. Or if you really don't care if anybody sees it, you can leave it in the form of a comment on our YouTube videos. Please, while you're there, please subscribe. We want to continue to grow our community. We want to hear comments from you in those sections below the videos. We want to hear what we got right, what we got wrong, what your own opinions about things are that maybe we didn't talk about. We want to hear all of that. Um, but subscribe, like the videos, and please comment whether you're entering the contest or not. We'd really appreciate it. So those are the ways that you can submit. And because I don't want you to have to go back through a bunch of old episodes and find each scene because they're usually at the end of the part ones of the panel podcast, but it's it gets confusing. I know I put out like three podcasts a week, so that's hard to do. So I'm going to put all five of them in this episode back to back. That way you will have them. And that will be what concludes this podcast episode. But I just want to give you a clue for each one of the five. The first one is me and Stephanie were portraying Tyrion and Cersei and we are reenacting a scene from a famous cult classic comedy. And that's one of the scenes. Scene two is Holly and Kelly, and they are portraying Sansa and Arya in a famous court scene from a famous movie from a famous playwright who also writes for television. The third one is John and myself, and John is Rhaegar. And I am Jon Snow, and we are enacting a famous father and son scene, probably the easiest one. Uh, the week four is Susan and I uh, being Danny and Jorah, uh, but we are doing it in a scene from a classic and famous holiday movie. And the last one is me and Bubba from the Joffrey of Podcasts playing uh, Varys and Ned. Uh, and actually, the way we ended up doing it, it sounded more like Horshack and Barbarino from Welcome Back, Cotter. If that show reference is way too old for you, I completely understand. As I said, I recently celebrated my birthday. It was my 53rd, so I'm an old person. Uh, but this movie, or this scene, is from a famous movie from the 1950s about a fighter. And uh, there's a catchphrase in there that, that should clue it in for you. Within all of these, I try to put little audio clues that will also help you. I'll give you a hint for week one also. The actual object that the actual characters from the actual movie are arguing about is being chanted in the background. It's not the Marinese Pyramid that Cersei refers to. Instead, it's the object that is being chanted in the background is the one that the two characters were arguing about. They also were both men. They were not 
a woman and a man. I just did it because of the dwarf reference. And so I said Tyrion. And rather than have him argue with Jamie, I had him argue with Cersei because uh, Stephanie was available to record it. Wow, I've rambled enough. We will be back with part two in just a little bit. And here are your five scenes from a Westerosi movie. Scenes from a Westerosi movie. I do not, for one, think that the problem was that the Kingsguard was down. I think the problem may have been that there was a Miranese pyramid on the stage that was in danger of being crushed by a dwarf, all right? That tended to understate the hugeness of the object. Really just think you're just making too big of a thing of it. Like the joke I never told the punchline to. Making a big thing of it would have been a good idea. Any chance the Waif left your office and said Arya is wrong? No. When the Waif spoke to the platoon and ordered them not to touch Joffrey, any chance they ignored her? You ever served in a faceless man unit, sister? No, sister. Ever served in a forward area? No, sister. Ever put your life in a faceless man's hands and asked him to put his life in yours? No, sister, except that one time with Theon and that other time with the Hound and... We follow orders, sister. We follow orders or people die. It's that simple. Are we clear? Yes, sister. Are we clear? Crystal. Arya, I just have one more question before I put Littlefinger and Varys on the stand. If you gave an order that Joffrey wasn't to be touched and your orders are always followed, then why would Joffrey be in danger? Why would it be necessary to transfer him off the base? Joffrey was a substandard king. He was being transferred. That's not what you said. You said he was being transferred because he was in grave danger. That's correct. You said he was in danger. I said grave danger? You said- I recall what I said. Stupid. There's no escape. Don't make me destroy you, John. You've not realized your importance. You've only begun to discover your power. Join me, and I will complete your training. With our combined strength, we can end this destructive The Bells episode and bring order to Season 8. I'll never join you! If you only knew the power of the Dawn side. Ned Stark never told you what happened to your father. He told me enough. He told me he slept with John Connington. Khaleesi, I know what I'm going to do tomorrow, and the next day, and the next year, and the year after that. I'm shaking the dust of this crummy little Kalasar off my feet, and I'm going to see the world. Yeeti, Lys, the Dragon Pit, the Grape Set for Baylor, and then I'm going to go see the Citadel, see what they know there. Then I'm going to build things. I'm going to build dragon fields. I'm going to build keeps a hundred stories tall. I'm going to build bridges a mile longer than the one in Volantis. What? You want to throw a rock? Hey, Khaleesi, that's pretty good. What did you wish for? Baby dragons, won't you come out tonight? Won't you come out tonight? Won't you come out tonight? Baby dragons, won't you come out tonight? And spill right out of the moon. What did you wish for, Khaleesi? Oh, no. Oh, come on, Khaleesi, tell me.
If I told you, it might not come true. What is it you want, Khaleesi? What do you want? You want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it and pull it down. How much you weigh, kid? When you weighed 168 pounds, you were beautiful. You could have been another Brandon Stark. And that skunk we got you for a king, he brought you along too fast. It wasn't him. Varys, it was you. Remember that night in the dungeon? You came down to my cell and you said, Kid, this ain't your night. We're going for the price on Joffrey. You remember that? This ain't your night. My night? I could have taken Joffrey apart. So what happens? He gets an execution outside the sept. And what do I get? A one-way ticket to the wall? You are my master of secrets, Varys. You should have looked out for me a little bit. You should have taken care of me a little bit. So I didn't have to take the dive for a short end amount of lies. Well, I had some inquiries down for you. You saw some bastards. You don't understand. I could have had class. I could have been a contender. 